we are in this sermon series where we're looking at Jesus' final message, Jesus' farewell message. This is the time that Jesus is spending with his disciples on the night he will be arrested. He's been in the upper room. That's where we're still at. It's called the Upper Room Discourse. It's this spot in the Gospel of John where Jesus has gathered around the table for Passover. They've eaten this meal. During this meal, we've seen so far, Jesus took the cup and he said, this is my blood shed for you. He broke the bread. He said, this is my body broken for you. He tells them, one of you at this table is going to betray me. Now, Judas has left the room. Peter makes this declaration. Well, you know, I wouldn't. I'd die for you, Jesus. And he's like, no, Peter. Actually, before the morning, You have to think this is nighttime. Before tomorrow morning, Peter, you'll deny me three times. And you just have to think of how difficult this is for the disciples. And they're asking all kinds of questions. They're trying to understand because Jesus just keeps saying over and over, I'm going to go, I'm going to go, and and where I'm going, you can't come. And, And then yesterday, I mean, last Sunday, feels like yesterday, last Sunday, they started to really have trouble in their heart. They started to, to, he could see them despairing. And Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled, guys. And he gives them reasons to not let their hearts be troubled. He says, hey, my father actually has a place specifically for you in his home. And in fact, I'm going to get that spot ready for you. And when it's ready, I'm going to personally come back and get you and take you there. And you will be with me forever. An incredible encouragement coming from Jesus, and the disciples are still just really struggling with all of this. But we don't know where you're going. Where are you going? And Jesus tells them, hey, guys, listen, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In fact, me and the Father are one and the same, and and they're really struggling with all of this. And if you thought all of that was wild, buckle your seatbelt, right? Because we're going to pick up in verse 12 of chapter 14. Jesus has just told them, about if they've seen him, they've seen the Father. And then he says this, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works that I have done, and even greater works. Because I'm going to be with my Father, you can ask for anything in my name and I'll do it, so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I'll do it. If you love me, then obey my commands. And I'll ask the Father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and it doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later on will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I'll come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you'll see me. Since I live, you also will live. When I am raised to life again, You will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them. And I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but the other disciple with that name, thank you, John, for the commentary, said to him, Lord, why are you going to reveal yourself only to us and not to the world at large? But Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My father will love them and we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. What I'm telling you is from the father who sent me. I am telling you these things now while I'm still with you. 
But when the Father sends the Advocate as my representative, that is, the Holy Spirit, He will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Remember that I told you I am going away, but I will come back to you again. If you really love me, you would be happy that I am going to the Father, who is greater than I am. I have told you these things, therefore they happen, so that when they do happen, you'll believe. I don't have much more time to talk to you, because the ruler of this world approaches. He has no power over me, but I will do what the Father requires of me, so that the world will know that I love the Father. Come, let's be going. Let's pray. Lord, I just ask you, as we dive into this text today, I just ask you that you would come and speak to us, that you would help us to understand the heart of Jesus, that you would help us to understand the Holy Spirit and this wonderful gift that you have for us. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Now, I told you this was good stuff. I told you chapter 14 is one of my favorite, if not my favorite, in the whole Bible for a reason. This passage is so incredibly wonderful and so incredibly full of truth. It's so hard for me to read through this and not just keep stopping, right? And not just stop sentence by sentence. There's a sermon series in each verse. But today, I especially want us to focus on a few things. The first we need to deal with right off the bat before we dive into really what I'd like to talk about today, is that Jesus is going to four different times repeat himself in a, ma- in a span of just 10 verses. Now, parents in the room, if you repeat yourself to your kids four different times in a single conversation, what's the goal? You're trying to get them to hear you. You're trying to get them to understand. You're, you're, you're conveying something that's very important. Think about Jesus is about to be arrested. He doesn't have a lot of words to waste here, yet he repeats himself four times in 10 verses. Four times. Jesus says, verse 15, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. Verse 21, those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones that love me. Verse 23, all who love me will do what I say. Verse 24, anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. Now, John, who's sitting there, one of the disciples, the one who wrote this gospel, obviously was paying attention to this lesson because when he writes his epistles to the churches, this is what he writes, 1 John 2, 3 through 4. And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. 1 John 5.3, loving God means keeping His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. Now, I need you to hear me. Something very clearly needs to be said. Loving Jesus is not the same thing as obeying Jesus, but loving Jesus is the source of obeying Jesus. I'm going to say this again so you understand it. Loving Jesus is not the same as obeying Jesus, but loving Jesus is the source of obeying Jesus. You see, if we understand this properly, what Jesus is telling us is that obedience comes from our love 
for him. Obedience comes from our love for Jesus. It is the result of us loving Jesus. It's not the same as loving Jesus. It's important we're not, this isn't works that we're talking about here, but we are saying that love for Jesus will produce in us a change, will produce in us love and works. Because if we love him, our hearts are being transformed. You see, love for Jesus is the root, and obedience is the fruit. Love is the root, obedience is the fruit. When we love Jesus, we are drawn in Him and through Him into a deeper and deeper relationship, and that relationship produces in us a desire, a greater desire for intimacy, a greater desire to experience God, to experience His love. You see, Jesus is is reiterating over and over and over here that really the only way for us to know and and be able to live according to his commandments is through us growing in and being committed to loving Jesus. That's the source. That's where all of this obedience is going to come from. It's not just going to come because we we, we decide we're going to do it, right? I'm going to try harder. I'm going to make this work. No, we got to grow in our love and in our affection for Jesus. Are you convinced that the only way that you can follow Jesus and obey his commands is by growing and deepening your love for Jesus? Because see, true abundant life and true, uh, true life in any sense, remember he's the way, the truth, and the life, is only found in Jesus. So I want you to think again about these disciples and what they're thinking right now. In fact, we don't have to guess. Three of them have spoken up during this conversation. First one that spoke up, Thomas, said, we don't know where you're going. Why don't you tell us where you're going? The second one that spoke up, Philip, said, just show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. And now, finally, Judas speaks up and he says, why are you just revealing this to us and not to everyone else? You see, they are confused. They're scared. They know they're coming to the end. Jesus has been crystal clear with them, and they really don't understand what they're supposed to do or what's going to happen next. And so Jesus is going to provide for them the solution to that. Jesus is going to introduce them to the Holy Spirit. And if you're going to learn about the Holy Spirit, I believe there's no greater spot in Scripture to look at and to study than this section, John 14 through John 17, the upper room discourse and the Garden of Gethsemane that we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks. There's so much teaching here about the Holy Spirit, and you kind of have to realize this is Jesus' last opportunity to be with his guys. It's his last chance. Three years he's walked with these guys uh, on the earth, and now at the very end, he's not wasting any time. What's he spend his last breaths talking to the disciples about? The Holy Spirit. So much of this end conversation, the very last things. Picture that moment in the movie. This is the last opportunity for the person to talk to the other person. They're not going to waste it with talk about the weather, right? They're going to talk about stuff that really matters. And here they're spending their time talking about the Spirit. And so we're going to look again at John chapter 14, verse 16 through 18. But I'm going to read it this time to you out of the Amplified version. Now, if you're not familiar with the Amplified version, I use it every now and then in teaching. And I would recommend to you when you're studying the Bible that this would be one of those tools that you could use. The Amplified Version, what it does is, you have to understand the original languages that the Bible were written in, when you get a word, a descriptive word, there's not always one great English word 
that fills in the full meaning that those original words would have uh, conveyed to the audience. What the Amplified Version does is it gives you a whole bunch of description for each of these words to try to convey to you the full extent. Now, it's not great for just Bible reading. If you try to sit down with the Amplified Version and read it, it, uh, because it's kind of clunky in the way that it reads, but it's super helpful for Bible study. So here's what it says, John 14, 16 through 18. says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, comforter, advocate, intercessor, counselor, strengthener, standby, to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive and take to its heart, because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he, the Holy Spirit, remains with you continually and will be in you. So here, what it's doing is this word that it was originally translated in the first text that we read as advocate, or you see it as helper, you'll see it as comforter, you'll see it as counselor, is this word uh, parakletos or parakletos. This word is an incredibly rich word. And it doesn't have a good English substitute. It, the, all of these words are, are really part of this meaning of this word. The helper, the comforter, the advocate, the intercessor, the counselor, the strengthener, the standby. It literally means one who comes alongside of us. And, and, this is, and you break this down, there's all kinds of richness here for us. See, up until now, if you think about these roles, Jesus himself has fulfilled these roles for his disciples. Jesus had been there to help them. He'd been there to comfort them. He's doing it right now, in fact. He's advocated for them. He's prayed for them. He's counseled them. Jesus himself has fulfilled these roles for them while he was here on the earth. He's been God in the flesh amongst them. In fact, remember, this is one of Jesus' names. Jesus is one of his names is Emmanuel. That's the name we sing about a lot at Christmas time. It means God who is with us. God with us. And Jesus has fulfilled this role with his disciples up until this point. But even up till this point, the disciples are really struggling. How many times when you read through the Gospels do you look at the disciples and think, man, they just don't get it? Uh, actually, it's great. We can relate to the disciples, can't we? There's lots in their story that you think, why, why are they not getting it? Why are they not getting it? Well, you're going to understand as we go along here really what's about to shift in their life. Because Jesus is saying, I'm going to leave, but I don't want you to worry. I don't want you to be afraid because I'm not going to leave you alone. And here's number one in your notes if you're taking notes today. The Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit, one of the things, now, can I just tell you real quick, I'm not going to cover all of the things that the Holy Spirit does today in this message. So some of you might have favorite things that the Holy Spirit does, and I might not cover them, but that doesn't mean it's not part of the full teaching of Scripture, okay? So we're going to look at a few of them from our text today. And here's number one. The Holy Spirit connects me to Jesus forever. The Holy Spirit connects me to Jesus forever. You have to think about how comforting this would have been for the disciples on their final night. Right before Jesus is going to be arrested and go to the cross, Jesus is telling them, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. He's going to help you. He's going to advocate. He's going to comfort. He's going to empower. He's going to teach. He's going to encourage. And you have to remember this, the disciples are already familiar with the Holy Spirit. 
The disciples, multiple times throughout Jesus' ministry, Jesus empowered the disciples with the Holy Spirit and sent them out on mission. He sent them out to heal the sick. He sent them out to cast out demons. He sent them out to uh, preach the gospel and demonstrate the kingdom of God. But just like in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples for a task, for a reason, for a mission, for a ministry, and then the Holy Spirit departed. So they were filled with the Holy Spirit for a job, for a task, and then the Holy Spirit would depart them. And this is the same way it happened in the Old Testament with the prophets, with the kings, with the judges, uh, with artists, the Spirit of God would come upon them. He would empower them. They would accomplish a task, and then the Holy Spirit would leave. But now, Jesus is telling them something brand new is about to take place. The Spirit's not just going to come upon you like you experienced before, but the Spirit is going to now live in you. The Spirit is going to dwell in you. Remember, one of the unique things about Jesus was that uh, when he was baptized, John the Baptist said the way that I knew it was him was God had told him that the one that you see the Spirit come down upon and stay and rest, that will be the one. And now Jesus is saying that the Spirit is going to stay with you, that he's going to be in you. I'm going to give you my Spirit to live in you permanently. No longer will the Spirit dwell in the temple. No longer will the Spirit hover over the top of the Ark of the Covenant, which wasn't there at the time, but you get the idea. No longer will the Spirit live in a temple. The Spirit is going to live in you. You are going to become a temple. You are going to become living stones built together where the Spirit of God dwells. God himself is going to dwell in you. Now, I could unpack this for a long time because this is the original dream all the way back to the Garden of Eden. God created a people that he could dwell amongst, that he would walk amongst, that he would fellowship with, that there would be nothing between us and him. But because they screwed it up in the garden, because we mankind screwed it up in the garden, there's always been a barrier between God and his people. And if you look at the tabernacle where God reinstates that he wants to dwell amongst his people, he's not able to openly dwell amongst his people like he used to. Now he dwells behind a curtain that separates mankind from God. And God comes upon people, but he doesn't stay. But now, because of Jesus, all of that is about to change. In fact, the last words <clears throat> that Jesus speaks in the Gospel of Matthew to his disciples before he uh, raises to his throne in heaven, after the resurrection, this is what he says, Matthew 28, 20. I'll just do the Amplified again. We're on a roll with it. It says this, I am with you always, remaining with you perpetually, regardless of circumstance and on every occasion, even to the end of the age. These are the last words of Jesus and how comforting they are. This is what Jesus is talking about here with his disciples. Guys, I'm going away, but I'm not leaving you. I, I'm going away. You're not going to see me anymore, but you will receive the Holy Spirit. I will be, come back. I will be in you. You know the Holy Spirit because you know me. That's what he tells them. You know the Holy Spirit because you know me. And what I love about these verses, friends, is they really demonstrate for us this important thing, this clear thing that Jesus is trying to get across to us. Jesus did not start the church and then leave and say, good luck, I'll see you when I come back. 
You have to understand this. Listen, Jesus did not say to us, good luck down there. Try your hardest. Do your best. I'm going to get a spot ready, and when I get it done, I'm coming back to be with you. No, no, no. He said, I'm going to come and be and live in you. I'm going to come and I'm going to dwell in you. Everything is about to change. And you need to understand this because for so many believers, not just people who, who haven't yet met Jesus, but believers, we see that loneliness is one of the number one things that people say that they struggle with in this world, believers and non-believers alike. But Jesus gave us an antidote to our loneliness. Truly, we are never alone if we understand who and what the Holy Spirit is in us and for us. You see, Jesus is going, remember, he's going to make a place for us. Jesus is going tomorrow to the cross. And on the cross, as he dies, he's going to cry out, it is finished. What he was saying is everything necessary for you and God to be joined back together has been accomplished. His sacrifice on the cross was sufficient so that we could be rejoined to the Father. This is a wonderful reality. Here's the second thing. We're connected to Jesus by the Holy Spirit. Here's the second thing about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit teaches us to know God. Number two, the Holy Spirit teaches me to know God. The Holy Spirit is a teacher. John 14, verse 26, from the Amplified. But the helper, comforter, advocate, intercessor, counselor, strengthener, standby, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, in my place, to represent me and act on my behalf, will teach you all things. And he will help you remember everything that I have told you. See, Jesus is saying here that it is the Holy Spirit's job role, responsibility to teach us, more so than your pastor's job, more so than your favorite author, more so than your favorite podcast. The Holy Spirit is, as a believer, our first and foremost teacher. Jesus is saying that the Holy Spirit's responsibility is to remind us of what? All things. To remind us of all things. <clears throat> so what topics is the Holy Spirit uh, know about all things. You think about this. You have a Spirit of God whose job, role, responsibility is to help you and to teach you who knows the truth about all things and has a desire to train you and equip you. So the next logical question comes along is, well, how does He do that? How does the Holy Spirit teach us? And, well, I'm just going to tell you there's a thousand answers to that question. The Holy Spirit is constantly teaching, and like any good teacher, He's using every means at His disposal. He's using that conversation at the coffee shop. He's using a face of a newborn baby. I'll never forget that lesson. He's using nature. He's using the weather. He's using everything as an object lesson to teach us. But the primary tool that the Holy Spirit uses to teach us is the Word of God, is the Bible. And I just want to give you a quick note about the Bible, about God's Word. Because, see, Scripture is so critical for us as believers, whether you're a brand new Christian or whether you have been walking with God for a very long time. I've seen this tendency, friends, when it comes to Scripture. 
I've talked with so many people about this who know all of the reasons why they should. They, they believe, man, it's the Word of God. They believe it's so important. And yet, when you ask them the question, yes, but do you read it? <clears throat> if they're honest, so many of us say, no, I mean to, I hope to, but I just struggle. I hear this all the time. You know, I'm just afraid that when I read it, I get confused. I read something and I get confused, and then I'm afraid that if I get confused, that's going to hurt my faith. Or I hear things like, you know what, I read it, but I get stuck. I, I just, it makes me feel anxious or frustrated. If you feel out of place reading Scripture, if you feel out of your comfort zone reading the Bible, I want to tell you something today. <clears throat> Welcome to the club. I've grown up in a pastor's home. I went to Bible college. I've taught countless Bible studies and podcasts, and I still open up the Word of God and go, whoa, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. I'm going to need the Holy Spirit's help to understand that. See, you cannot come to the place where you expect that just because you're a Christian and just because you're a person of faith that you are going to perfectly and instantly understand everything that God wants to teach you. You see, we approach Scripture like we're approaching math, where we just think like if I just memorize the concepts and understand the, the, the pattern, then I'll be able to get all the right answers. But listen, you don't need the Holy Spirit for that. The Holy Spirit was given to us to teach us, to help us to, to illuminate the truth of the Word of God, to make it come to life in and through us. It's the beauty of Scripture. And we've got to come to this place where we are willing to check our American expectations of instant gratification at the door. You're not always going to be able to Google everything and find the perfect answer that will make your soul at rest. There's going to be times that you're going to wrestle with it. There's going to be times that you're going to need the Holy Spirit over long seasons of your life to help teach you and train you. Every one of you, I bet you, that I could ask you questions about scriptures and areas of your life where you struggled, where through time and seasons and relationships, God has brought teaching and transformation. And I just want to encourage us, just because it's hard, don't give up. Don't, just because it's hard, don't give up. The, the word of God is too important to us. I used to say to my youth group a lot, if Jesus showed up right now and he went over to the creek, we got that bench over at the creek, I love that spot, and he sat down on the bench, he said, I'd like to talk with you. Who here would say, I, I just don't really feel like it? You know, I, I just don't, I don't have time today. Maybe, maybe next week I'd have time. No, you'd say, I'm next, right? Ah. Jesus is, wants to talk to me. I, I want to hear what he has to say. And friends, the Bible is the word of God. It's him talking to us. It's him communicating his heart, his mind, his, his thoughts, his purposes to us. And yet so often we treat it so casually. Like if I get the time. I just want to encourage you today as your pastor, as your friend, the word of God's too important to us, friends. The Holy Spirit wants to teach you and one of the primary tools he does that with is to train you and teach you through the Word of God. See, his job is to be the teacher, but what's our job? To become the students, to become really good listeners. 
to be putting ourselves in a place to be taught by the Holy Spirit, to say, Lord, I'm struggling, but I'm going to read this because I believe you'll help to teach me and instruct me. Okay, so the Holy Spirit is helping us to be connected to Jesus. The Holy Spirit is helping us to, by teaching us, and here's the third thing, the Holy Spirit helps me to walk out my faith with God. He helps me to walk out my faith with God. He wants to help you. Can you just for a minute picture how radical this is if you fully understand it? That the Holy Spirit, the Spirit that hovered over the, the, the water, whom God spoke through Jesus and the Spirit brought everything to life, the Spirit of God wants to help you. To help you. But see, we got this all screwed up. Here, let me give you an example. You guys uh, repeat, um, you know the answer to this question, so I'll ask it. God helps those who is the dumbest, most frustrating cultural garbage. God helps those who help themselves. No, He gave us a helper, the Holy Spirit. God's desire is to help us, not our world's wisdom, that you can make this happen. You can try harder. You can do it. Jesus is saying, don't do that. Don't try to do it yourself. In fact, when he gives the disciples the biggest commission and commandment that he ever gave them, he says, but don't go and do any of it until the Holy Spirit comes because he knows their tendencies. We can read about their tendencies, and I know my tendencies. It's not about me helping myself. It's about me submitting to the Holy Spirit's help. Look at this next verse. We're going to cheat ahead. We're going to skip down the road a little bit to the Garden of Gethsemane. Chapter 16, verse 7. Because this is so uh, important for the context that we're talking right now. Jesus continues this conversation on in the Garden. And He says, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the Helper... The comforter, advocate, intercessor, counselor, strengthener, standby will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him, the Holy Spirit, to you to be in close fellowship with you. Jesus is saying, this is a craziest statement, it is to your advantage that I go away. It is better for you that I go. Can you... Picture with me how radical a statement this would have been for the disciples to understand. For three years, Jesus has physically and tangibly been with them, right alongside. <coughs> they ate together, they slept in the same places, they traveled together. And now when they're full of fear, when they're struggling with Jesus saying, I'm going to go, Jesus says this thing. He says, guys, it's actually better for you for me to leave than for me to stay. It's to your advantage. And guess what? Jesus wasn't just saying it. I want you to think about the lives of these disciples. Up until this point in the story, how many times do we watch the disciples as they bumble along and, and get lost and get frustrated and get in arguments. In a moment, you're going to see them take off and run and hide. But this very same group of guys, the same group of disciples, 
once they're filled with the Holy Spirit, every single one of them, except John, and not because they didn't try, except John is going to be martyred to death for their faith. What changed? What takes Peter, who says to a little girl standing next to a fire, I never knew him, to a man that says, please don't crucify me up this way because Jesus was crucified this way. Turn me upside down instead. What changes? What changed in these guys? What changed is, instead of just being alongside of Jesus, they now had Jesus inside. I don't think you can understand how big this is. Instead of just being alongside of Jesus, they now have Jesus inside. And that changes everything. I remember I told you the Holy Spirit wants to help you with so many things. I can't list them all. I came up with a list this week. I'll have Brenda or Ashley help me this week post this for you. I came up with a list of 70 things that the Holy Spirit does, and I was going to read them, but I was like, no, that's nonsense, okay? So I'll give you 10 instead. Here's 10 things that the Holy Spirit wants to help you with today. He wants to lead you. You can look up these verses this week and read these. He wants to empower you. He wants to teach you how to pray. He wants to wash you and renew you. He wants to strengthen your physical body. He wants to bring you freedom. He wants to enable you to wait. He wants to strengthen your spirit. He wants to enable you to obey the truth. And he wants to dispense God's love into your heart. And this is just a few of them. The Holy Spirit has been given to us by God to help us. He wants to help you. But we are so stubborn. We're so full of pride. We so want to, especially living where we live and in the time in which we live, we want to do it ourselves. We're like my kids when they're toddlers. They, they need your help, but they don't want it, right? And you're like, you just let me know when you need my help, okay? And so often I just figure how, just how patient God is with us. Friends, He's given us the Spirit to help us, and yet we so often are going through life without this willingness or awareness to allow the Holy Spirit to help you. See, this question we so often ask is, do you have the Holy Spirit? Do you have the Holy Spirit? It's the wrong question. See, if you're in Christ Jesus and you have received the gift of salvation, then the Holy Spirit is available for you. But here's the question. Not do you have the Holy Spirit, is does He have you? Does He have you? Have you submitted yourself to the Holy Spirit? Have you allowed the Holy Spirit to guide your life and to help you? Have you allowed Him to comfort you and advocate for you? Have you allowed Him to teach you? Or are you just going through life on your own? See, Jesus understood that the Holy Spirit was going to change everything. Band, you can come back up. And friends, you have to understand that the early church understood this too. 
the early church understood that they desperately needed to be ongoingly filled and led by and empowered by and helped by and taught by and counseled by the Holy Spirit. You see, in the early church, you didn't have an argument taking place about if somebody had received the Spirit, and if so, when did they receive them? What they were saying is, God, we need more. I need more. Look at Acts chapter 2. The disciples receive the Holy Spirit for the first time. Guess what happens again in chapter 5? The Spirit comes upon them once again, and they're filled, and they're renewed. And all throughout Scripture, what we see is this constant need for an awareness, for a filling of God's Spirit. Can you do life on your own? No. Friends, when did we settle for a faith where we are just trying to go through life by our own strength, our own power, our own wisdom. Sure, we read the Bible every now and then, and we like them. They're great stories. But I want you to do more than read the Bible. I want you to live it. I want you to see the power of God in your life and through your life. I want you to see the kingdom of God come and the will of God be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want you to believe that when Jesus says, even greater things will you do than what I did because I'm going to my Father, that we read that and say, ha ha, Jesus, you're ridiculous. But no, he meant it. That his desire is for us to be a people who receive his spirit. And that is supposed to, friends, change everything. Jesus got up one day when he was at the biggest day of the festival. And stood up and in the, shouted out in the middle of the room from John chapter 7. And he gave us the criteria. He gave us the criteria, and he also gave us what we are to do about it. He said this, On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this, he meant the Spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive, because up until that time, the Spirit had not yet been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Let me ask you a question. Is anyone amongst you thirsty? This is Jesus' question to you today. Are you thirsty? Are you satisfied? You think, no, I'm good. Actually, life is good. Because Jesus says, if you are thirsty, you can come to him and drink. So the question is today, friends, are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? Because if you are thirsty, if you desire to see the Holy Spirit pour out in your life, if you would give yourself to the Spirit, the Spirit is more than willing more than ready, more than available to help you, to lead you, to guide you, to advocate on your behalf, to counsel you, to comfort you, to teach you in every area about all things. Maybe today we would come to the place where we just say to God, I'm sorry for trying to do this on my own. And we would just say, God, today I'm thirsty. 